Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to episode 243 with my guest, Melissa Villasenor. Today's episode was brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter offer code MENTAL at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there, check it out. Um, Join the forum, read a blog, a guest blog, uh, support the show, fill out a survey, all kinds of stuff. Buy a coffee mug or a t-shirt. Use our Amazon search portal uh, to buy something at Amazon, and then they'll uh, throw a couple nickels our way. Uh, I want to remind you again about the uh, two upcoming live events that I have this weekend, um, let's see, this airs. This episode airs on sept- Friday, September 18th. So uh, it's tonight, uh, tomorrow, and Sunday, uh, LA Podfest. And um, I'm doing a live recording of the podcast on Saturday night, uh, September 19th, from 9 to 11 uh, at Podfest. And that episode will be uh, available, uh, the video of it will be available um through the podfest website for up to three weeks and to um watch that video or videos of any of the performers there this weekend and there's a ton of great ones um it costs 25 dollars and um you can get five dollars off if you use the uh, offer code mental uh, when you purchase it and uh, we get some of that money so it's also a great way to support the show 
So come to PodFest if you live in L.A., come see it live, or if you can't, uh, watch the uh, the video stream of it. It's going to be streamed live and, like I said, available for three weeks to a month uh, afterwards. The second live event is going to be um, Sunday, September 27th uh, at 7 o'clock at the Bell House in Brooklyn. And my guest is, oh, my guest at uh, PodFest is Jackie Cation, who does the great uh, PodFest Dork Forest. Uh, she's also a stand-up comedian. My guest at the uh, Bell House in Brooklyn on the 27th is a writer-performer, Lane Moore, who is super funny. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of really great stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Tickets for The Bell House, um, you can go to thebellhouseny.com and get tickets. They're uh, 15 in advance, 20 at the door. All right, now that that is all out of the way, let's read a couple of surveys before we get to this uh, interview with Melissa. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself Theoretical Dollar. And uh, about his OCD, he writes, I'm getting tired of replacing doorknobs due to twisting them locked until I'm satisfied my apartment is safe. Snapshot from his life. He also has anxiety and depression, love addiction, and alcoholism slash uh, drug addiction. Um, He writes, driving to work gasping for air because the pit of depression in my stomach is sucking everything out of my lungs. I feel like if I could crawl out of my skin, it would stop. Boy, I'm, I'm, I know you're not looking for suggestions from me, but I would say dealing with the alcoholism and maybe seeing a psychiatrist and getting on some kind of meds because that, that sounds like the, the you know, when you're gasping for air because of your anxiety, that, that to me sounds like something that you know, might need medicine. Again, I'm not an expert, but I did cook chicken on basic cable for 16 years. That's got to count for something. This one is a same survey filled out by Merrill, and she writes about her uh, compulsive shopping. Rewriting lists to go shopping and feeling a drug-like high when you're making purchases, and then when you get to the cashier, you're plummeting into a dark depression again. Thank you for that. This is filled out by Natalie. She writes about her bulimia. I worked so hard to prevent vomiting during my pregnancy, and here I am postpartum, getting satisfaction out of purging. I can't imagine how difficult postpartum depression has got to be. Like, this horrible thing that comes on at the very moment you need your shit together the most. Oh, uh, this is filled out by, I don't know how you pronounce her name. It's I-M-O-A-N, um, about her anxiety. I just want to control my surroundings so I can relax. Oh my God, isn't that it? Isn't that it? God, I think we all have that impulse. It's so strong in us. Um, I've been finding myself lately, uh, getting angry on Facebook and because the, the, the whole political thing is is just so depressing to me. And I can't surrender to the fact that the world is filled with people that I disagree with politically. And instead of just finding a way to make peace with that, I I lash out on Facebook. And I'm and as I'm watching and not really fully lashing out, but just, you know, putting it in the form of of barbed jokes, but I can feel that it's it's my way of yelling. And I'm not going to 
change anybody's mind by being snarky. That never brought anybody over to the other side. And I shouldn't even be trying to bring people over to the other side. They're, they're on their own path. They're on their own, you know, journey. Uh, but it's so tempting. It's so tempting. Because what I really want to do is I want to grab them by the throat and punch them in the face and say, you're hurting the globe. Stop it. But you know what calms me down, honestly, is to look back at my behavior through the years and see that I was an asshole. And I can still be an asshole. And oddly enough, that calms me down. Because I'm like, oh, okay. All right. The bar is not that high. The bar is not that high. Um, so I moan. Um, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce her name. Um, about our anger, anger issues. Uh, my kids whining or crying sends me into a panic, which then makes me angry. I have to mask my anger when one of my kids gets hurt, and I go through the motions of comforting them, which they no doubt can feel. And then a snapshot from her life. This morning I was taking my kids to school and my daughter climbed over my seat to get to hers. I was so angered by the fact that she was putting her dirty shoes on my seat and slowing down my ability to get in the car. Uh, I hope I kept it together well enough, but I felt that I had to take her to task for doing what is ultimately not that big of a deal. I just felt so disrespected and like I didn't matter in that moment. I felt that way constantly as a child, and now as an adult, when I feel that way, I become filled with rage. My kids don't really deserve to be treated that way. I was so moved by this, by your honesty and your um, the, the your self-reflection on it, and you know, I, I really, I know you're probably beating yourself up for having done that. But to me, you've taken that really first important step, which is you've recognized that this isn't really about your daughter getting her shoe on on the seat. Um, that it's being, tr- it's triggering something from your childhood, which is great because now you've got a place that you can head to work on it so that you, you don't get triggered. Um, by your kids, you know, quote unquote, disrespecting you, which it clearly sounds like they're not. I mean, they're just fucking kids being kids. But um, thank you. Thank you for that survey. That um, I, I love when I read a survey filled out by a parent who is aware of what they're doing and doesn't want to continue doing it. Um, I think in many ways because I long... I long for that. Um, I, I feel like I missed out on that, and so I'm I'm uh, I'm glad to see that some parents are are doing that. I know there's a ton that that are super conscious and um, have boundaries and don't take their childhood shit out on their kids. But um, oh god, I am just going down the rabbit hole here. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a uh, a guy, a teenager, who calls himself glad I'm not a barista anymore. And uh, about his depression, he writes, a seasonal pattern depression leaves me feeling like I am two different people. The one who knows life isn't worth it and the one who is acting out because he is trying too hard to deny it. And then a snapshot from his life. My girlfriend had told me uh, to hold on to her painkillers because she had started taking them recreationally and was scared she might do something rash. 
Tonight, she mentioned feeling bored with where our relationship is. I took eight of them. My God, somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> so... That is when I first felt love, like I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrender. And I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was amazing. I'm here with Melissa Villasenor and uh, she's a stand-up comedian and impressionist. Um, an all-around nice person. We've known each other for all of five minutes. Uh, <laughs> but a uh, a listener uh, or two, uh, I believe, suggested you as a guest. And so, That's really cool. Yeah. So I reached out to you, I think, through Twitter or something. Yeah, I saw. I, was, I got excited. I was like, oh, boy. This is yeah. great. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're yeah. uh, you're excited to, to be here. Um, uh, you expressed a little hesitation that that your story or your childhood um isn't dramatic isn't fucked up um but before we started rolling tell me what you were what you were feeling these last couple of days well i have been feeling this numb feeling that i i can't i don't know what i'm loving right now what i hate there's just a neutral and i don't like even last night i was doing a stand-up show i couldn't i didn't i didn't even have a good time i just couldn't feel anything and I and I get this every now and then, and I it bugs me because I want to do I get angry. I'm like, no, I need to be working. I need to create a new video. I need to do shows. I need to write. But there's just no emotion for me to even. I just don't get. It. I, and I exercise and everything, but I can't. I don't know. And it bugs me. But I I thought I went to Huntington Gardens today and just laid there on the grass. And I was like, just do nothing for a bit. What if? Why can't it just? Can it just be okay to just not do anything for a few days? Why do I have to feel? Like, I need to just keep creating. I think that's the thing. I think I have too much time creating. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I don't know. But Well, I relate very deeply to the feeling that you talked about. It's and a scary feeling. It is a scary feeling, especially when you exercise and you don't get the endorphins and you still feel flat and things still aren't interesting. I don't understand. And I... It, yeah, it, it's... I think what you did is awesome, that you just went... And you just chilled at, at a place where there was some nature. I think that's sometimes. I'll, good. Yeah, sometimes I'll just sit in my backyard and I'll just feel the sun on my face. Maybe I'll smoke a cigar. I'll just watch yeah. the dogs play, and I'll be like that. Maybe this it's is this. Yeah, maybe it's just this. Maybe I just, and maybe the just allowing ourselves that compassion in that moment is know. is maybe what the day was supposed to be to mm -hmm. remind us that we're not what we do. I think that's what it is. I think, well, I'll tell you my whole story, but I, I definitely, since 15, I've been at comedy. I did the comedy oh, camp. Oh, early. Life. Yeah. So, I, so I've always been this motivated, have to always be working, 
and I and I don't want I, a part of me just recently in this past months I just I want to let go a bit and just enjoy life too and enjoy people because it start it's I don't want to get too caught up in it I don't want to get obsessed with it but I know I love it it's a it's, it just it's sounds tough. like it's 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 a bit out of balance maybe I think that's it I'm not a good balancer I'm is the <laughs> is the 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 um the drive there coming from a place of fear or a place of you just love doing it so much that mm. um, you have to get this creativity out of you because it's just bursting forth? Sometimes it's out of just pure joy or I'm just, I'm cracking myself up at home and I need to film something. It's impulse and it's fun right then in the moment. And sometimes it is robotic and I force myself and it doesn't feel as free or, or feel as good. I think it's also that fear of time is time goes by fast. I need to make things happen quickly. And it's like, I need to let that chill, chill out a bit. <laughs> That's, um, can I ask how old you are? Oh yeah. I'm 27. Okay. Yeah. A youngin. Yeah. Youngin. No, I, it, it's, um, yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I just don't, I know I get very caught up into it. I don't want to, yeah, it's anyway. A, it's a, the shoulds, the coulds, the woulds, it's so easy to get, to wander in there and before you know it, you're staring at the wall with your mouth open <laughs> and you've wasted an entire <laughs> afternoon where you could have been outside or maybe you could, could have even been taking a good quality nap. Um, oh, I know. Yeah. I just want to go more with the flow instead of having to control so much. Yeah. So let's talk about your uh, your life, your story. Uh, well. You're originally from Whittier. From Whittier, California. Nixon's from there, too. He's from Whittier? I didn't or know I think that. he went to college. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he did. But if you go to Uptown Whittier, you would love it. It's really cute, really quaint. There's well, some punk kids at Uptown 2000. A lot of little... That's where they hang out. But... Um, a lot of cool movies were filmed around that area. Hocus Pocus, Father of the Bride. Uh, some movie was Shia a while back. A, a horror movie. Disturbia, The House. So anyway, I'm just sharing a little fun yeah. fact. It's like, what, 20 minutes from uh, downtown LA or what? About 30. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a Mexican-American and I have three siblings. There are six of us. Uh, older brother, I'm a middle child, younger brother and sister, twins. Wait, hold on. You have three siblings, there's six of you. Oh, four, oh, man, four I'm, kids I'm, and I'm, two I'm parents? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, parents. I'm okay. including my parents right. there. Um, I was like, yeah. I, I know I'm oh, no. shitty at <laughs> no, math, <I'm> but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Catholic private school all my life, all girls school, 7th to 12th grade. That's that's its, own, that's its own particular thing. My uh, wife... <laughs> When she was in high school, uh, even though she didn't go to Catholic uh, high school, she hung out with girls that went to Catholic high school, all girl. And she said they were always the wildest. They were, yeah, they got into the worst trouble. Uh, it could be maybe the whole the the shelteredness yeah. makes them a little nuts. I went a little nuts after high school, but not. I mean, and are you uh, second generation Mexican American? First generation? Second. Okay. Yeah. Well, wait. My, Your grandparents. My grandparents. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So second. Um, yeah, really close to my family. A very 
little strict upbringing, but you know, are they a lot uh, of love? Very religious. Not super, but we're Catholic. Okay. I did all my sacraments. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Do you remember what the final sacrament is? Well, it would be getting married, right? No. no. Confirmation? The, the name of it always just made me, it just grossed me out. And, Wait, what and is it? Extremunction. What? That's when they, they give you last rites. When you're when you're dying, and I just I just remember that word being burned into my skull. I've never heard extra function. Extra function. Yeah, that sounds Which, creepy. It's just oh, it was so. It, they might as well have just pulled away a black cloth and had that word right there. Ew! <laughs> I don't want to be extra muncted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's uh, my siblings are. I'm really close to my parents and. Um, really close to my siblings, but everyone is on their own, you know, different lives now, but... And where are you and the three kids? I'm, I'm middle. Okay. Because they're twins, my younger brother and sister, so... Um, yeah, and I went to Ramona Convent in Alhambra, and I was always really shy as a kid. I didn't really, I didn't like the center of attention. I didn't like when kids would say, oh, Melissa and Brian sitting in a tree. I'm like, no, no, I would never sit in a tree. I don't <laughs> like him. And I would cry because I don't like, I didn't like attention. But then I re- just remember being 12 and learning, realizing I could do impressions. I, my first one was Britney Spears. Oh, baby, baby, how was I supposed to know? <laughs> And then came Christina Aguilera. Oh, 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 <laughs> All those just started popping out of me because I was listening. That was a big time for them and for my life. And uh, and I just loved making people laugh. And then you kind of come out of your shell when you're 13, 14. And um, I just I realized this was what I needed to do. And I, I knew it that it, this was the only option. And at 15, I did a talent show for my high school, got a standing O because I did all my singing impressions. And then that summer, I found the Laugh Factory Comedy Camp online and went. And then after high school, I got straight into improv classes and started stand-up. And then that was... uh, It's just been kind of... It's been ups and downs, but pretty, pretty amazing, though, just how motivated and determined I was and I think it also came from feeling a little outcast too in high school I think I didn't my parents didn't let me go out often with friends I had to lie if I needed if I wanted to go out so I think you had to I had a I felt like I had to lie like I wanted to go to the mall with my friends but I you know went out with the on a date because my parents they didn't want me to date till like senior year it was kind of a little too intense there but found my ways. I had an older brother that knew how to, <laughs> you know. Um, are, are your parents still, uh, do you feel like they're overly protective slash concerned? Well, they're, yeah, they're, they're, very, they're concerned. They love me and they love us. But I think now they've gotten a lot, a lot, a lot cooler. I think, especially, especially with my career. I mean, when I first started, eighteen, nineteen, doing stand-up shows, I think I think my parents were like, "Just stop, just go to college." Of course, the whole thing. But then once I found got some success, and I think even as they got older, they realized, well, 
you, know, you live one life, that's it. It goes so fast, do what you love. So they're really great about it. And they love going to shows. Um, do you work the road much? I do. And that's that's where my the darkness entered my soul. <laughs> that's that's it's, where they heap it out by the bucket full is on the road. Yeah. It, it, talk about the road. And it, particularly being a woman on the road. Yeah. My wife was a touring road oh, comic. And so... Man. I've I've heard all the stuff that that women have to to go through in addition to just being a comic on the on the road and being alone. It's it sounds like there's so many people are like oh how fun. I'm like but they don't know. I I, I got success early with America's Got Talent. I did that uh, 2011 and I did impressions and then immediately I I quit my job at Forever 21 and was you know on the road already. Um, headlining clubs and colleges around the country by myself, and I, I wow, didn't that's have, a that's a it culture was a, shock. It it a culture shock and and um it what's that word overwhelming for me because I didn't have an hour of stand up. I'm not even I was ten just years gonna, in. I was just going to ask you how did you fill the forty five minutes? I, I tried to write stuff, but it was it was majority of the shows I I bombed hard and I couldn't. It was so tough because I used to, I loved comedy, and then this was for two years of it. I couldn't. I hated it, and I hated myself, and I didn't. I got to a place because after bombing so many shows, it's it's not like oh just wipe it off. It's kind of like this this has no more meaning. I'm I'm not doing a good job. This is pointless. And I would go. To, I just would go to hotel to hotel by myself. And there's this uh, haunting feeling of I don't want to be near me at all, but I can't I can't leave. And that's when I started cutting myself, and and I got a lot of tattoos, and I was drinking a lot, and just kind of wanting to change Melissa because I was so sick of it. But then there's this whole other portion I'm dealing with of <laughs> I do so many impressions, and the crowd wants to hear that, and I couldn't I hated it because I didn't I wanted to be myself, but I don't know myself and i'm still right now i still want to i'm still trying to write of what i even care about in my life or who i am and i and i'm struggling a lot with it right now but i again i don't want to take it so seriously i want to still make it light and fun but i want to you know i want to do a good job in comedy i want to be great at being melissa you know i i (laughs) I think that moment that you had at the Huntington Gardens, yeah, I think that's the beginning of the path for you to find out who you are, and that is gonna in my opinion is going to help your the next wave of your material that truly expresses who you are um I it, think you're right, I think I need to do a lot more stuff like that. Yeah, and then because then you can write about it, and you could talk about yeah. that battle that you have between you know what you feel like when you're not accomplishing anything, and how you just yeah, and that's the stuff that 
always moved me the most when I would hear a, a comic talk about it. I remem- remember the first comic I heard that talked about stuff of a really personal nature was this guy named Rick Reynolds. And he was one of the first guys to do the HBO Young Comedians thing. It was, uh, or maybe it was like the seventh year in. And he, um, Sorry, getting some pit. I, I totally so pit. So, okay, I okay. pit out and it's my show. I pit out. <laughs> okay. Um, but he <laughs> talked about, um, if he died tomorrow, he, he would regret it because it wouldn't say Rick Reynolds died. It would say comic dies. And he started talking about, you know, fearing about his own mortality. And he was a great joke writer, but that was, that was the stuff that I always wanted to talk about in my stand-up. And I did stand-up for 25 years. I could never get to that place where I could talk about that stuff and either feel comfortable enough delivering it or the audience would like it enough that it would work and i've always been jealous of the comics that that can that can do that that have the the nerve to lay maybe a minute or two out there that's kind of deep and doesn't have a lot of punchlines but then maybe pays off you know someplace someplace later so i under, i understand yeah. that that fight because you've we've got that's why I think podcasting is so great because we have it, this it is, thing inside of us and th- this medium is perfect for mm-hmm. it. We can stretch it out. So talk, talk about the, let's start with the, um, the cutting. How, how old were you when, when that started and how long did that, is it still an ongoing thing? No, no, no. I haven't, I was, it was two years ago. Okay. But, um, I, I don't know. I, I was going to, I was going to therapy and it stopped um and i did get on i did i did start antidepressants and i first was get i first had a, a big fear of flying so i had some little anxiety medication for that and then it just it just got like darker for me so I, yeah, I got. On, I'm, just, nice. I'm trying to the, remember. You're on the plane. And you're like, well, pretty soon at least I'll land, and then I'll have a horrible 45 minute show. <laughs> no, yeah, it was just too much. I, I mean, it, but it's, it's tough to say. It's tough to say things bad stuff about it because it was like, well, I mean, I was making good money, but it, that's not everything, it's, though. It's not. It's not, and especially. Uh, I know how comedians talk and how competitive they can be. And I would imagine there were road comics who had been working five, six, seven years who wanted to be headlining, who were resentful of you because you were suddenly headlining. And they were probably trying to bury you by killing before you came on and then smugly sitting at the back of the room, you know. I did have some like that. And it was tough, the crowd exiting and... Saying, "Oh, you're better." The feature act was way better. It can, you know, just hearing all that is just—it's rough. Um, I—I've been there as a guy who had 15 years of headlining under his belt. You oh, know, wow. where yeah. you struggle to to follow the feature act. So you're not you're not alone in that. Yeah. But. Thanks. Yeah. Knows. Um, and right now it's right now again my stand up. I'm trying to. I have a my my jokes are all really light and silly and wacky, a lot of voices and stuff. And there are some vulnerable premises 
but I I don't take it that far because I don't know how to make the dark stuff that funny. I don't know. I just know wacky. Um, well, you're friends with the master of I don't want Maria the- Bamford. Yes, she's yeah. It's so br- she's so brilliant, and I hope that I can take dark, deep stuff yeah. from and, my life and turn it into. And before she found her people, she bombed. Oh yeah, she told me that actually. Now I remember, she was the first person I reached out to. I told her I'm I'm starting to headline shows, and I'm really afraid. And she it was she was the sweetest. She on Facebook, she messaged me long message of all the things she does on the road, and it was it helped me. And I still I still have it saved on my computer because I like what what were some of the things she'd say? Listen to podcasts, find cool coffee shops in the area. Um, <laughs> she said, find a local a uh, volunteer group and she said one time in San Francisco she helped blow balloons for some party. <laughs> um she said sometimes if you sit in the waiting room in the hospital that'll make you feel better. She said um uh picture the crowd having a pink light or or picture your fa- you picture your cat, a giant cat in the crowd. Uh think of the good shows. Um See, I remember all of it because it was it, I remember telling myself over and over because that I, is so you know, beautiful it, it was it, she's the best and uh i'm just trying to think of other stuff just you know it really made me smile um and helped me a lot and it was she i remember her telling me too that she had shows for a long time where she was not doing well headlining and they said we're gonna switch the feature act have them headline and it, that must have been rough but it was it's comforting knowing Someone that brilliant went through the same thing. So, um, yeah, I was I was telling Paul that I meet up with her. Right now, not so much. She's very busy. But on occasion, we would meet up and we do joke machine and we go back and forth with new jokes. And I do an impression of Maria also. Oh, let's hear it. Uh, uh, hey, hey, it's Mary Bamford. Uh, so, um, I, I slept for about uh, 15 um 15 hours, uh, so kind of scary, kinda, I'm kind of worried about, um, my mom, my mom called me and she said, oh, Maria, no. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> She's the best. Um, but yeah, so that really helped me out when I was embarking on the journey. And then also, I was dating someone who's, I, I, I don't want to say the name, but it was, he's also a very brilliant comedian and I never loved someone so much and it was tearing me apart that I was traveling so much but he, I think I was I was a little nuts to loving him too much he didn't I know he loved me but not did you get at the clingy? same yeah I got clingy and but it was over a year you know and of, of dating and it was just too it was too much for my heart I think I got too much and then you know he 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 broke up with me and I was on the road and it was just kind of like the only thing. Oh man, that's the double one. <sighs> that made me come home and feel excited to, to go out, dance, you know, go see movies. But it was kind of just, <sighs> you could see I'm getting sensitive because it, oh, just it's t- so much. What's coming up right now? <sighs> just the, I don't know. I was just, the loneliness was the hardest I've ever felt. 
I don't know. I'm too sensitive. <laughs> no, you're not. It's awesome you're sensitive. <laughs> the world needs more sensitive people. It's and and the sad part is that sensitive people are shamed when it, nobody should be shamed, but if anybody's going to be shamed, insensitive people should be shamed. <laughs> I know that's true. I, I man, I know that's. We just got to find other sensitive people. That's right. that's then you found Maria. I mean, look yeah. how much your life has improved by having a friend that that gets you. Yeah, definitely. And that's and I'm noticing that with my fans and and doing a lot more shows now. I go to some clubs and and I'm real I do poorly, but I realize oh these aren't these just aren't my people. And I'm st- and I'm glad I could see that now and not take it personally. Because I, I, I open for her sometimes, and I the the best crowds ever because oh, they're the same. They're, they're the, the they're brilliant. They're, they're sensitive. Sweet. They're deep. They I, have a darkness in them. That's I mean, yeah, nothing better. So it's and, good to to see understand. If it makes you feel any better, when I did my Comedy Central half hour, it was not my people. Oh man, it was one of the worst bombings i ever did it was a half hour of sweaty agony and thank god i wore black so you and couldn't you just see go how much. through the motions i went through the motions and i paused because i knew that they would uh, f- put the laughs in in post-production um and nobody could tell by by looking at it but i mean even my close friends that were there in the room couldn't lie to me they were like that was brutal that was brutal and i went upstairs and I was newly sober, so I was kind of like in a place where I could roll off of me a little bit, mm-hmm. where I knew there was my life probably had more meaning than just this silly thing. But I went upstairs and I was watching the movie uh, Adaptation. Is that what that was called? With uh, oh, I've always the Charlie to see Kaufman. That. Yeah. Wait, is that with it, Nicolas Cage? Nicolas Cage yeah. with the little plants on the cover. And I was watching for about five minutes, and then one of the characters said, who you are is not who loves you, it's what you love. And I suddenly went, oh my God, I needed to hear that. And I just... Whoa, wait, say, I want to take that apart. What is it? Who who you are are. is not who loves you, it's what you love. So you are not defined by how the world loves you, you are defined... I take it by the love that you put out into the world. Ah, that's great. And I needed to hear that, and it was just, I was fine. I was fine after that. But it was, it was, um, it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. So I I don't know if that makes you uh, feel less, less alone in having experienced that, but sometimes they're just not, they're just not our crowd. Mm -hmm. And I've found that the more original the comedian, the more frequent that happens. Um, but that's a good thing because if everybody loves you, there's a good chance that uh, you're you're really not that that memorable. Uh, Joan Rivers once said, mm. "If if ten percent of the people don't hate you, you're doing something wrong." That's great. I got yeah. it up to ninety. But that, <laughs> that night. <laughs> but, but let's get let's get back to uh, your your struggles on the road. So there was the there was the the cutting. Um, what was what was the other thing? I was starting to drink a lot, oh, and I, okay. I I had a friend too that entered my life that was she was super sweet, but she was also the type of friend that was 
a yes person, not a good friend that looked out for me. So it's kind of this habit. I got in the habit of just drinking a lot more and I put on some pounds and I, I mean, it wasn't terrible. It's just, and it's fine for me to live and enjoy life, but it was also, I, I just, it was, I had a question. I questioned myself a lot of that time. I felt like, am I losing myself or am I becoming myself? And wow, it, that's and, deep. I got. Yeah, I, I need to pause well, I, on that one I, for a second. Well, because I, I, I just didn't know. I got you know like twelve tattoos with less than a year. Did you really? Yeah, and I, and I, I'm showing them now, but I, I don't know. I think at the time why that happened was because everything else was just falling apart and not making me happy, and this one thing that gave me kind of this thrill. I just was like, I need more of it. And it's obviously no, it's known that people who get start t- with tattoos, they keep going and it's a spiral, but is, is most of the pleasure derived from the tattoo being done or in the aftermath of being able to, to look at it? It's more of it being done. Yeah. But I think. Is that because of the endorphins that get released I th- I from think the pain? So. Yeah. But I mean, it also that it, it really hurt my mom though it, like she thought she did something wrong raising me now, how'd you and handle that i was pissed i was really mad at her for a while I was like this has nothing to do with you this is my life but i think she cares so much about how i my appearance and and just work and career and she she thinks image is a huge part in that every everyone that saw me a certain in a certain light is going to see me differently and and I am a little bummed out that I I pushed, I I I'm now in process of removal, which is, I mean, for yourself, for my for my parents, and I kind of you're removing them for your parents. Well, my mom for these ones on the lower arm, and I'm a little angry with myself that I let that happen. Why couldn't I just leave it? And just say this was a part time of my life, and that was that. But, um, and that's something I'm still dealing with right now. I don't want to be so afraid of your of my mom. I don't want to, but I want to make them happy, make them proud. But I, I need to. That's a really hard balancing act to try to have both those things. Yeah, because they've been. I mean, I'm. I'm really close to my parents, and I know a lot. Of, a lot of comics aren't not that close to. They're not family oriented people, but I've always been, and I can't just say no. I don't want to see you for weeks on end. I, I don't know how to live like that. Would when just, you think of that, does it sound good to you to have a couple of weeks away from your family? I mean, I've done it before, especially when, I was, when I'm traveling and stuff. But I mean, without I, just. No talking to no. them. Yeah, just a or just three or f- three or four weeks to just take a break. I, it kind of sounds good, actually. Yeah. I think I should do that for myself. I mean, I would put that under the category of going to Huntington Gardens. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I I think so too because I I am starting to realize even with my stand-up, I can't even. That's another part of knowing who I am is if I don't separate myself. Because I see them at least once a week, but if I don't separate myself, how am I going to know what I, who I am, and what I even want? Absolutely. Or m- what my point of view is and opinion, or, and opinions are on things. 
Are you still seeing your therapist? I'm seeing a new one, yes, yeah. now. So are you, um, I mean, it are just you... started back. Oh, I wasn't okay. going for a while. But, um, yeah, no, it's it's going good. I think she's very patient, and it's nice, and it's... And, um, yeah, she's just noticing that I I put too much on myself, and yeah, she was <laughs> she doesn't like that I am I think pleasing too much to my parents there. So that's a so that's, that's a huge issue, you know. That's a and I think it's so common. I think so many of us, and and it's bound to happen that we're going to disappoint our parents because just the generational differences, you know. I know you getting a tattoo is much different than your parents' generation getting a tattoo. Yeah, no, I know, and that's what I think my mom saw it as, like, for her time, like, she's in trouble, she's in a gang, you know, but I'm like, no, there's, pretty much everyone has one. You should have thrown gang signs at her right there. <laughs> I should have. MS-13, <laughs> mom. check this out. <laughs> no, um, and she actually, I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't even know I have these up here, she's never seen them, so I, I don't... It's tough, especially in the summer. Like, I don't, I want to go swimming and stuff, but I still feel a little afraid. I don't want her to freak out and, on me again. And it's. What, what would, let's just say, did I cut you off? Did you want to finish? No, go ahead. What would, what would happen if you just let her freak out? If you just stood there and you just let her freak out? I, I don't know. I feel. I think you should just let her freak out. Yeah. And just say, are you done? That's tough. I don't... This is my body. That's I yours. Know. I don't tell you how to dress. Doesn't mean I don't love you, Mom. I right. love you. You're one of the most important people in my life. But my body is mine, and your generation has different opinions. Yeah. Please don't tell me how to live my life. Just love me. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, and that's something I would love to say, but I can just picture her just screaming the whole time her head off so i don't think she would yeah. hear anything mind you this is coming from me who has yet to confront my mom about shit that she did to me <laughs> some of it i confronted her about but there was other stuff yeah. that i just uh, i can't be in the same can't be in the same room with her i cut contact with my mom but um it was much different stuff than uh, than what you're talking about yeah um but I, yeah, I, you, yeah. This you caught me in the midst of like just so many different, just making changes for myself these days, um, which is good, good, really yeah. good. I mean, the there's there's like a core to you that that when I hear you talk about these things, where your instincts are really right on. And it's just like it, it's, it just seems like it, ne it just needs to break through this final barrier of setting boundaries and being okay with somebody else being uncomfortable for you to, to reach this kind of, uh, next level of, of personal freedom. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's good that, like, I think, I feel like my career is just quiet these days in the sense of, there's no real big things happening other than, you know, doing stand-up on the road, which is good. And I think it's good to have a lot of time to become myself and strengthen who I am. 
because that just that little taste of that of of that fame in 2011 it was just just that tiny little fame it just that's a lot of pressure already though and it especially in the package and it came in for you which was headlining before you were ready yeah, to do yeah. 45 minutes yeah. i mean that yeah. that makes my stomach hurt the thought <laughs> of god yeah. you know my stomach would get into a knot sometimes at the idea of doing 45 minutes when i had an hour and a half of material and the thought of doing 45 when you only had 10 minutes of material is terrifying terrifying yeah so but now you feel like you have i feel I'm okay with maybe 30 minutes now, 30 or 40. But I, when I, I, I still perform at colleges every now and then, and I fill the hour with talking, or I have a lot of singing bits. So, you know, it, it's definitely a lot more comfort now. But, uh, but I still feel if, like, I'm opening for Winnie Cummings a lot this summer, and her crowds are not my nerd crowds. So a lot of my references, I have a lot of Disney stuff, a lot of silly stuff, and I and it's it's a challenge when they're not my people. So I'm getting a little anxiety for the shows, but I I want to do a great job. So it's kind of like I have to just I feel like I need to just do all my impression bits because those are so universal. But my heart it it, it just wants something else. What what are some things that you wish that you could talk about on stage that just, that you would love to connect with the audience about okay. I, I I feel like especially with my my type of crowd I I want to talk about the joy I get from hobbies and from being at home I have so many hobbies that I don't even hang out with people because I'm so satisfied and it, or go on dates because I I feel like I cock block myself because I, <laughs> I want to write that as a joke because I, because I really am so happy playing my Nintendo DS, Animal Crossing. I prefer that's my favorite video game. Um, reading books, I I make polymer clay figurines. I draw these. That's another part of me too. I draw some. <laughs> I draw some dark drawings, that I that come from, uh, images in my head, just throughout my days and I have to draw it or else it'll keep bugging me and I just love it and I love music and I love singing and then I love comedy so I'm pretty booked up uh (laughs) and I want to I don't know how to really talk about it I know I don't know how to make the jokes for it a lot of my stand-up is set up act out punch and that's with all the impression bits there's some vulnerable stuff about how Owen Wilson makes me happy because he's so silly. Just, yeah, yeah. He sounds like he wants to tell me a secret. Like, yeah, no, I don't have any secrets. We're getting an idea. Yeah. <laughs> and now Wanda Sykes helps with my self-esteem because she's so tough. And she's like, girl, why are you listening to those negative thoughts? That's some bullshit. I don't like that. And that makes me feel good. Those bits kill because they're, they're so emotionally connected to me. Yeah. So I don't mind doing an impression when it's really connected to my soul. Yeah, I've always felt like there's two categories of impressionists. Like, to me, Jim Carrey was always a great impressionist yeah. because his stuff was oh, yeah. so original and it came from a place 
that was like he did a facial impression of Chet Baker. Who the fuck <laughs> does that? You know what I mean? And the stuff he would talk about in his stand up, there was always a there was a silliness, but there was a darkness underneath it. That's the that's the best. Yeah. I can never just well, unless it's to please a crowd or for an impression. I can't really just say here's so and so at at a Walgreens or something. I don't yeah. I couldn't do it. Well, you know, the the stuff that you just described to us, the hobbies and the wanting to be alone and drawing the dark stuff, that to me, it, I think if you share that with your audience, I think they would understand you a lot better and I think that would be a great place for you to begin this next phase of expressing yourself because that that's very telling those things that you just shared yeah that's a a, uh i get a much clearer picture of who you are after after you shared that oh cool yeah i'm quite the the homebody i'm really fine just i'm i could go for days at home i i feel like when i find a documentary on netflix and I've got a bowl of popcorn and a protein bar and a cup of green tea. I feel like I just sat into a jacuzzi. I mean, it's, it just is like, oh. And it's free. And nobody's going to call me. It's midnight. Mm-hmm. I just feel so safe. I feel. it's That's the best. I created this character not too long ago named Heather the Hermit. And she... She came from a place of just hating or just, yeah, hating everyone and, and afraid of everyone. So she stays in her cabin and her, <laughs> she's gotten a little wackier, but her voice, this is how she, this is how she talks. Like, I, I don't want to go outside. No, thank you. No, thanks. It's snowing. I'll stay inside with my snow boots. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she's like... All I need to survive is just a bucket of milk. (laughs) (laughs) So she just loves milk and staying cozy inside, and she hates, she fears that everyone's out to get her. So it's a really fun little character. What would, but sad too. (laughs) What would, what would she say if uh, your mom knocked on her door? Go away. I didn't invite you unless you brought milk. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think that that was, that was such an awkward, uh, ending for that. No, not for you on my part. (laughs) That was, that was such a, that was such a carnival take on trying to get you to open up more about your mom. Oh, that's what you're saying. No, I was just thinking maybe maybe your character would say something meaner about your mom than you've ever allowed yourself to say. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm careful. Um... Not yeah, that I want I, not that I want you to say anything mean about your mom. I just No, no, but I understand what you're saying. I think Yeah, I think just right now I need to separate. I think that's another bit in its own too of how I want to have my own opinions, but I hang out with my parents so much when I talk to my friends about things. It's just my parents that are talking. <laughs> Out of, you know what I mean? Like their opinions of stuff. Right. Anyway, it's, I, I I'll think that's figure a it great, out. <laughs> I, no, I think that's a great thing. 
I think that's a great thing to talk about. So what are what are the greatest hits of negative self-talk? Uh-huh. Oh, the greatest. That that's the the things you say to yourself that aren't healthy that you've constantly think about yourself well, or say to yourself. I I tend to compare myself a lot sometimes with friends that do the same thing and I and it really bums me out cuz I comedians I, you mean? Yeah, comedians are I I I don't like it cuz I I it upsets me cuz I love them and I want to be happy for them too and I and I hate that I'm so competitive and I and then I just like I'll have something I want to do that week or film a video or a character or whatever it may be. And then I just, if I, you know, with social media, everyone's posting everything. So I feel sometimes I, I close up myself and say, forget it. I'm not, I'm worthless. I, I'm not really needed. These other people could do it instead. And that's, man, I I hate that. I hope it goes away. Cause it's, it's, it's stops me creatively and, and I just push myself aside, and I don't like that. I don't. I think. So I, you're saying that it, it it it's coming more from a place of I feel like I have to do this instead of I want to do this about posting stuff. Um. No, I like. I love posting stuff, but I I think I if I you worry see, about the quality of it. Is that no? No, I think I. I don't feel like I'm as good as as my friends or these other people. That so that are taints doing... the experience of of. Yeah, so I won't post something, or I won't, or I'll post it, and then it doesn't really get good. I don't know. It it I just I hope the comparing stops. Well, well, try to try to think of what the first five things that Maria Bamford probably posted, and people who don't get her what they probably thought about yeah. that. Yeah. She probably would have got a hundred terrible comments from people. Quit doing your weird voices, mm-hmm. freak. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got to remember that. Um, negative soft R. Mm. You're not working hard enough. I think I do that a lot. Or, um, you're not that smart. I do that to myself. I'm not. I tell myself I'm not smart. I'm not intelligent. I can't even. I tell myself I can't write jokes. I don't even know how. Um, I don't know. I. I mean, I could easily. I. I have. I struggled in school because I don't know how to. I didn't pay attention well, and I. I got a lot of C's and D's. I was a C and D student, so I. I need to read books of like U.S. history. I don't know anything that's happening. I try to follow up on online with the the updates of the news and stuff, but I, you know, if you're there's not, a part of me that's not really into it, though, then don't do it. If you're not passionate about it, you know, I always feel like the things that we're passionate about that whatever force there is in the universe, whatever you want to call it, God, yeah. positive energy, I feel like that's its divining rod. What, the passions that we have, the healthy passions mm-hmm. for things, that's it's the our higher power putting little breadcrumbs on a trail for the life that we're meant to live. Yeah, yeah, that that makes me feel good. I can tell you, to, don't sweat not knowing about that other shit. Yeah, it, 
my opinion. I'm giving a lot of my opinions no, no, on that's, this. But, and then sometimes, though, I get, like, I do a lot of impressions, and I don't really, I could care less about some of them, so I don't really study them well, and so, and I feel bad when I share the impression, but I don't even know what they're about. I just know their voice and how they talk, but... I'm not really passionate. Oh, there's only a few impressions I'm pretty passionate about, and those are the ones I emotionally connect with. And those were Those who? are Owen, Wanda, uh, Michael Jackson. I can't... It's a little harder for me, but I, I tried my best to do sing like Michael Jackson. And... Um, <laughs> uh, how are other ones? Well, Maria Bamford and a lot of comedians, a female comedian. Uh, Whitney Cummings, I Im- imitate to her. Um, Kathy... Oh, not Kathy... I don't really connect with, a lot with Kathy Griffin. So that's someone I don't I don't really study her and I don't mm-hmm. write good jokes for her because I'm not really... Mm, I like Bjork because she's an outcast and weird too. Have you ever seen the video of her punching that lady? No. Oh, you haven't? Uh-uh. There was some lady who I think might have been stalking her. It was a journalist um, and uh, it's in an airport and Bjork just loses her shit and clocks this woman. Oh, nice. Yeah. Sweet. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess so. I don't need to worry about n- needing to be intelligent about everything. It's just only the the, passion, the things follow, I'm passionate about. Follow what you're passionate about. I mean, that's, yeah. my, that's my opinion. I've, I've been on this earth a little longer yeah. than you, and I think that's probably why I'm, I'm sounding a little paternal in our conversation. No, because but Because I, I feel like as a comic that, you know, did this for for 25 years and been going to therapy for so long um i i hate to see uh other people falling into the traps that i wasted so much energy hating myself and feeling like shoulda coulda wouldas mhm you know yeah no well, that 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 makes me happy Knowing I could just, yeah, all my hobbies. <laughs> um, talk talk about when you're. Give us a snapshot of your of the perfect day in in your life. For, for, like what from, it would be. What it would be. Oh. What time you would get up? What you'd eat? What hobby you'd engage in? Anybody that you would, if you wanted to, anybody you, you would come in contact with? Ooh, this is great. I would love, I like waking up at around nine. I love having oh, a cream of wheat. That's my favorite. Anything in it? Uh, syrup. And coffee, and then going to the, writing in my journal, and then wait. You know, with that time, I, then I could go to the gym. I like having a good workout. Um, I like being having some uh, something productive. So I either film a video or be in a class. Well, no, not even not class. I don't think I enjoy that in class that much. Like I, <laughs> I, mean, I, I get better, but I don't. I don't. I think I'd like to go to Disneyland with friends. Um, that sounds awesome. And uh, maybe you know, have a have a drink before. Um, <laughs> I 
I do like I like a good beer. I like Guinness. But was, I don't. That was my favorite. Uh, but I don't. Not often because it's. Uh, the best is the foam on the top. The I first know, drink of it, it's. It's like a coffee, chocolatey. It's wa- so it's, good. It's the best. Um. So you go to Disneyland and then wa- with your maybe watch Kung Pao when I get home. I get in my PJs and and then play Animal Crossing and pass out. <laughs> it sounds like a good time. <laughs> that sounds like the perfect. I think that's. I mean, that's. I'm not having no career goals in that day, but I think a fun day would be. I think that's. I think that's my fun day. I like parks, so I'm going to start doing that more. Though, just sit, laying down today at the park. I mean, at the Huntington Gardens, and just looking up at the Japanese trees, seeing the sun through it was. It was pretty beautiful. And I didn't have to do anything. I just was just staring. And I had my hat on my belly. I had some hiking shoes on. I was like, this is... This is the, this is the life. So, I gotta do a lot more. Yeah, but I am bad at balancing the... I mean, friends. And I don't see them. I don't text them often, but I... I'm going to try to do that super better thing. Did you hear that from Mm-mm. TED Talks? Mm-mm. Just a few things to do to start the day. I think it's mainly to, I think, just been hearing a lot more podcasts and, and reading more about just taking the thoughts off of myself onto someone else. And that would really help me help others. So I don't, I don't want to be so selfish so much. <sighs> You know, I think there's a, I think there's a good selfish and there's a not so good selfish, and um, it took me years to discover the the difference, because I used to think the good type of selfish meant I was a bad person. You know, like setting boundaries with people is to me is a good a good kind of selfish. And then there's bad kind of selfish where I would go to the grocery store and I wouldn't even text my wife to ask her what she wanted. You know what I mean? Mm. And, um, but I think a really hard one for us, especially if we grew up people pleasing is the good kind of selfish is, um, you know, I think we tend to go all or nothing. It's like, well, if we're going to hang around with people, then we just go into these relationships where people walk all over us and we don't set any boundaries. And so the alternative for us, instead of being around people and setting boundaries, is completely withdrawal and not have anything to do with, that's, with people. That's exactly that. Yeah, that's me then, for sure. It's me too. Um, I'm not some... I, 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 all my life, I know that if there's a stronger type of person near me and they have some really bold opinions or I will agree with them so I don't have to debate or get an argument and so that they would like me. I do that all the time. And I, I'm... I, a part of mainly a reason I just don't want to get in a fight. I don't want to start that. Um, but yeah, I remember even back in high school like the cooler girls, the popular girls I would definitely just compliment them on on something and then they'll... Be like, oh my god, you're the sweetest, Melissa. Just so that, <laughs> yeah, that I'm I'm good at that. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, that's 
Um, I am bad at, at setting the... I, I definitely just cut myself off of friends so they don't... So, But they know better. The good friends, they know they have boundaries too. Hmm. Yeah, I found it's it, it's almost impossible to have intimacy with friends or partners and to avoid having the occasional conversation that's awkward or painful. It's it's almost impossible and um and I don't think being a misanthrope is a good alternative to uh, avoiding, you know, just being somebody who's just a hermit. I, I don't I don't think that's a good but I tend I tend to be You tend to be Heather? Like, like like you. I tend to to be a hermit. I tend to have to force myself to um call people. I, I don't think I I can't even remember the last time I excitedly called somebody. I I oh, just man, that's I bet even the listeners too. Like just saying, oh, I'm going to call so-and-so right now and see what they're up to. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. I would rather think about what documentaries are coming up on iTunes and Netflix. Yeah, that could be a lot of people now. That's pretty sad. I know that whenever I have, most of the time I have my phone on, on silent because I, I hate the text noise. It doesn't matter about mm-hmm. ringtone. I just, whenever I hear it, I say, don't bug me. <laughs> Like, I can't do that. These are my friends. But. I don't have any noises on my phone. They're all vibrate. Vibrate. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, And I can't even get myself to go out on a date or dating. I just. It's that same thing. Like, I'm happier just staying home than having to go out and learn something new. Let's uh, let's end with uh, a thing we do on the show. I, I didn't email you this, um, but we can improvise some. Okay. We, we first we list things that we're afraid of, and then we list um, things that we love. And the more detailed, the better. Ooh. If you can think of any, so I'll start. Okay. I'll start with a fear. Um, I'm afraid that I came uh, off or came across in this uh, interview as being uh, too much of a uh, know-it-all. Well, no. That's wrong. That's what I felt. I'm, I'm not, I'm not oh, oh, asking oh, I'm for not, you. Or we're not asking. Okay, okay. No. So I don't have and to then you, and you And we go back and forth. So then you do something, a fear that you have. It doesn't have to be about the podcaster, the podcast or anything. Just anything in general. In general. Okay. Um. I can I can list another one while I'm thinking. I, I have a fear that the work I've done will be forgotten. Oh, that you're going deep right out I, of the look, right out of the hey, fucking this gate. This is a deep podcast. So. Coming out swinging. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid that the next earthquake that hits is going to be so will not only be horrifying in magnitude, but will be doubly horrifying because I will be in a place. That is the worst place you can be when an earthquake hits. Like one of those places where you're like, oh, oh God, you no, you weren't there. Oh, man. This is... <laughs> um, 
I have a fear of car accidents. I, I fear that one will just come where I, I don't, I just, I, it's just a scary thought. Just mm-hmm. flying out or something. I didn't, I think of that just cause how nuts it is to drive. It's scary. I'm afraid that I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go see an endocrinologist to see if, um, because I just feel sluggish and my depression's been kind of bad lately. And um, I'm afraid that it's just going to be another doctor visit where they're like, no, everything looks fine. And there's, and I'll just keep searching for answers to why I've, feel this kind of flatness I fear that I'll never fully believe in myself so that so that means none of my dreams will come true wow that's a deep one because it's huge you know like just how the people that fully believe that's well as Yoda says you fail because you don't believe and I feel like if I just keep up with the not believing and being afraid, then I just won't get there. I am so jealous of people who have an unflinching faith and belief in themselves. I just look at them like you are from another planet. Yeah, I don't know how they do that. I don't either. Um, but again, the fans understand. They, they're... There's a lot of sensitive people out there, too, that want someone that's also sensitive. Yeah. Let's do some loves. Loves. I love sleeping with one pillow near my belly and kind of on the side, and then my cat being on top of that pillow staring at me. Oh, that's awesome. And, she, and it was just like, that's it. <laughs> when my dogs sleep on my bed and especially if herbert's nose is near mine Herbert. i don't ever want to move i don't ever want to move that is especially if i can just smell their breath a little bit it's, even if their breath is bad i just love smelling my dog's breath no it's it's the best that's the best okay this is a really oddly specific one but uh, i heard the song on the way up here and you know the song uh torn by natalie and Bruglia? oh yeah the background harmonies where where they go. Mm-hmm. It's completely tone deaf, but I, there's this part of it where the, where it's just it's just the perfect. It's just the harmonies are so perfect on that Ooh. on that song. Oh, that is good. You're right. Song is the best. Um, I was singing about going with music too i love when a song is happy and sad at the same time where they have like the killer song mr brightside i was Mm -hmm. really listening to it yesterday the melody is fun dance it's powerful and then the lyrics are just so sad but at the same time i just that's amazing yeah that's because i feel both emotions strongly I that's, nev- that's my favorite. I, I completely agree. Uh, 
I always wondered why I was so drawn to the music of, uh, there's this guitarist named Django Reinhardt, who he died in like 1950. He was this gypsy guitarist who was yeah, considered, uh, he's amazing. And I always wondered why his music touched me so deeply. And then somebody pointed out that he plays in a minor key, but the tempo of it is upbeat and joyous. And I realized that's kind of what life is, is life is trying to dance through sadness. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Give me another love. Another love. I love Christmas. The whole Christmas time. Give give me some some of the favorite things about Christmas. All the houses with Christmas lights, uh, eggnog, um, the smell of a Christmas tree. That is a great smell. Christmas Eve. Um, I'm not big on the mall being at shop. I don't like that. I just think that the, I think it's love. I think it's just, you could feel the love so much at that time. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Man, I got asked this the other day. Um, like that one that touches my heart. Boy. I really like the Grinch. Yes, I think that's I think that's up there as my. I think that is definitely my favorite. It's I. I think that might be my favorite. That one or Christmas Story. Christmas Story. That's Christmas great. Story still that's holds perfect. up. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a per. But I like Jingle All the Way also. So. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Give me one more love. Okay. Okay. I love. This is also a, a, a not really a secret. My, my fans know. I love cracking up so hard that I pee my pants. <laughs> and That's I, a fantastic. And one. as a kid, though, it was it was a very embarrassing thing for me. I was a lot. I had a lot of incidents where it was really embarrassing. But as I got older, and I, it doesn't happen often. But if I haven't gone to the restroom. You're looking at some trouble down there, but I think it's only women that uh, that wet I themselves think, laughing. I I don't know if I've ever heard of uh, of a I man can, doing that, but maybe. But yeah, I I could work on getting strengthening, whatever. But I I think I love just cracking up with people I love and adore, and yeah, just cracking myself up. So I love much. when I love when you're laughing with a group of people. And there's the second wave of laughter because you're laughing so hard. You're laughing and how hard you're laughing. Oh, that's a... And then when the laughs are silent and it's just your belly and you're just... And and you're kind of... It's... I think that's the the best. Your your stomach is hurting so much. You actually begin to think, (laughs) wow, I really don't work out. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Hands down, that's my favorite. Uh, and I'll do the last one. I love that list that Maria Bamford made for you. And I just love how kind she is. She's as kind as she was before anybody knew who she was as a comedian. She's still just as sweet. And I love that. I love that. Yeah, I'm going to reread it. 
it's it's great. And uh, I'm so glad you took the plunge and came came on I the know, show. I know, me too. Thanks for yeah. having me. This was so sweet. I'm I really glad, enjoyed this. I did too. Thank and if you. people want to get a hold of you, they can check out your YouTube channel. Would that be the yeah. best place to go? Melissa V87 is my channel, and I'm all the I'm on all Instagram, Vine, Twitter. Um, Melissa V Comedy is my handle. For okay. All those, so. And we'll put uh, we'll put those links up on the website when we Perfect. post this. Thanks, Paul. Thank you so much. Thanks, Melissa. What a sweet, sweet woman. Um, I want to give some love to our uh, sponsor for this week's episode, uh, Squarespace. If you have never used Squarespace to uh, design your own website, you are really missing out. First of all, it's affordable. It's only eight bucks a month. Um, you get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Uh, you can start out uh, using a free trial with no credit card. Uh, credit card? No credit card required. Um but what's great about Squarespace is they have a ton of different templates that you can choose from. They're beautiful. Uh, they're designed by people who have uh, a real knack for vi- visual beauty. And um, you can use it to uh, design a website, a portfolio, an online store. Um, I did uh, a site paul-gilmartin.squarespace.com and I put up my favorite dog pictures that I've taken and uh, musical snippets that I've written and and recorded and it took me less than two hours to put all of these things up there. Their software is intuitive. You you don't have to do any type of coding. Uh, It's very logical. A lot of dragging and dropping and uh, yeah, it's it's what you hoped a, a website uh, portfolio or online store design uh, would be. So uh, check it out. Like I said, it's eight bucks a month. You get a free domain if you sign up. No credit card uh, credit card required. Um, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code MENTAL to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. So uh, got some great feedback from you guys about the... Uh, episode last week with Ellen Sachs uh, about schizophrenia and mental health laws and stuff like that. And one of the topics that came up that maybe we didn't cover clearly enough was um, uh, being placed on a mental hold and how that may or may not affect your uh, criminal record. And so we got an email from one of our other guests uh, who'd been on a couple of years before who was a California policeman. His episode was entitled Policeman Andy, and he wrote and uh, he said, on the Ellen Sachs episode, there was a question about police records after someone being taken on a mental health hold. In California, and probably similar in the rest of the country, it works like this. The first type of police record would be a criminal record based on fingerprints in court action. In California, it is a record of arrest and prosecution, hence a rap, or, uh, or therefore listed on a rap sheet. These are based off of arrests that result in fingerprinting or entered by the courts. These are uh, these are listed uh, as arrests based on court action. For those arrests, there may or may not be a court record of action by the court. Conviction, no charges filed, etc. These are only for arrests. A 5150 hold is a civil action that the police can do, and it is not an arrest and will not result in a rap entry in itself. But we can arrest someone for a crime and place them on a hold at the same time. Still at its core, an arrest, but we are ensuring the jail takes care of their mental health needs. 
The second type of police record is any report, citation, or documentation the police do. If we take a theft report, an accident report, make an arrest, write a ticket, or take someone into custody for mental health issues, we write a report. Um, When we make an arrest, we have a basic release to the public. Therefore, when a celebrity is booked in Glendale, the press can look at all the arrests last week and see the names and charges and date, but not much more. Uh, the actual report information is released on a true need-to-know, right-to-know basis. There is no Freedom of Information Act for police records. You can seek your own cases, but not your neighbors. If you need a report for civil court, you can seek a subpoena, and the report will most likely have things redacted from it. A sexual, uh, sexual assault report will rarely be released to anyone except the victim and to the defense team for court discovery. Uh, but details can be removed and privacy is attempted. The press cannot seek a 5150 report without a court order, subpoena, and sometimes they can get it, but only through a judge's order. So in conclusion, yes, if you are held by the police on a hold, there is documentation. A police record, it is not easily accessed. It is very private. It is not a criminal record just for the hold. There are specific laws about releasing information and it should be held in confidence. It should be as secret as a record of you being a victim of a crime. And in my department, you are listed as a victim when we place the hold. It's not charges. It's not a crime. And is only rarely released in any form. I hope that clears things up a bit. And please share. Thank you so much for that, Andy. And if you guys haven't ever listened to Andy's episode, it's a, it's a great one. Um, this, is from, this is an awful moment. Uh, I fucking love this one. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself bankroll boners. And uh, he writes, Awfulsome equals watching muted porn on your laptop while pretending to listen to your mom on the phone while she asks you for another loan that she will never pay back. (laughs) (coughs) Oh my God, sorry about that. I'm just getting over a cold. That is, I don't know if I can follow that. I should really just wind up, uh, wrap the show up right here. That is such a good one. Hence the name Bankroll Boners. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Houseman. (coughs) So sorry about that. He is straight in his 20s, uh, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. He has been emotionally abused. He writes, my dad has some sort of personality disorder and my siblings and I grew up in an environment where there was a persistent backdrop of tension. Basically, we were always walking on eggshells in anticipation of his next blow up. I'm the eldest and actually got the least of it, but I was nevertheless witness to a lot of verbal abuse and I felt the need to protect my mom and siblings from a very young age. It was my job to bring things back to an even keel and to manage my dad as best I could. Any positive experiences with your abusers? Of course, there was swimming with him at my aunt and uncle's lake house and listening to Hootie and the Blowfish in the back of our junky green station wagon. There were a lot of good times, but it was always tinged with that constant tension, and I don't even want to think about how many awful, upsetting dinners we sat through. Darkest thoughts. See secrets. Uh, What are your darkest uh, secrets? Since adolescence, I have been sexually attracted to prepubescent boys. 
Mercifully, the desires have receded in recent years, but throughout middle school and high school, I was tormented by my feelings. I felt like an irredeemable monster, and I can remember playing, praying fervently uh, for the feelings to go away. I never acted on any of these impulses, and not for lack of opportunity, as I was in Boy Scouts and regularly babysit the younger sons of family friends, requests that I felt obligated to take. I can remember going to the bathroom while babysitting to masturbate furiously and just feeling terrible about myself the whole time. I never got close to actually doing anything. I've always had the self-control and moral compass to understand how wrong and hurtful that would be, but any time I privately indulged my fantasies, it felt just as bad. Today, these feelings are much less intense, and I've found a certain sympathy for the sad, shame-filled teenager I was and my only real guilt comes from the few examples of genuine child porn I came across on sites like uh, Kazaa. I didn't commit that abuse, but I did in a way perpetuate it, and while my age at the time absolves me somewhat, it was still very wrong. I remember one fantasy in particular that really upsets me. I was walking along a beach, and there was a mother with her 9- or 10-year-old son. We were the only people on the beach, and my mind immediately went to how easy it would be to pick up a rock, smash the mother in the head, and then rape her son. I've shared my attractions with therapists uh, years afterwards and with great difficulty, but I've never brought up the violent content of that fantasy, which, much to my chagrin, still arouses me. Given that taboo around pedophilia, this is probably going to be something that I'll just have to carry and keep buried for the rest of my life, which is no great burden, but it'll definitely enhance... It definitely enhances the feeling that pummeled me constantly when I was depressed. You are a fraud. If they could only see the real you behind the well-manicured mask. Uh, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I honestly run the gamut, uh, but rape and coercion are regular fixtures. It felt felt nice to share that experience um, on the beach. Writing it out takes away some of its power. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To those kids in those videos, I'm so sorry that was done to you, and I'm so ashamed that I exploited your misery in the depths of my own. Well, that is a profound statement. Um, thank you for pouring your soul into into this survey. I really appreciate it. Um, continuing, what if anything do you wish for? I really hope that I find someone. I have a lot of love to give, and I think I'd be a really caring, giving partner. Have you shared these things with others? Like I said, I've shared the attraction with therapists and I did confide in a few very close friends from high school. The therapists mostly focused on not having any control over our attractions, which was helpful in a way, but it was a long time before I actually believed them. My friends just said that I was one of the nicest people they knew and they couldn't imagine me ever hurting anyone. How do you feel after writing these things down? It feels nice, kind of like closure. I used to hate myself so much for these feelings, but through the process of writing this down, I've realized how comfortable I am not hating myself, something I would never have been able to do until very recently. Uh, Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? To all the other virtuous pedophiles out there, you are your actions, not your thoughts. You may, you've been dealt dealt a shitty hand, but so long as you love others the way they deserve to be loved, you are a good person. We may be monsters, but at least we're not assholes. And I would say you are, you are, you do not sound like a monster at all to me. You sound like a a sensitive person that has been dealt a difficult hand and and you are, um, 
handling it admirably. <clears throat> and yes, you made some mistakes when you were in high school, but who who doesn't uh, do things that they regret? I think it just varies among us, the thing that we've done that uh, that we regret or things. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Recovering Orchestra Nerd. And she writes, uh, I played the cello for nine years beginning in third grade, all of which was uh, through my school district. The summer before fourth grade, I had summer orchestra, which consisted of two times a week, a private lesson at 11 a.m. and full orchestra rehearsal following. I was home alone every morning as my dad had a part-time early morning job, but was usually home in time to take me to my lesson. I always... I was always the one managing my schedule and reminding my dad when he needed to drive me places. One morning, he wasn't home when I needed a ride to rehearsal, and I started looking for him by calling his job, but he had already left. I then began calling the few bars in our small town. I don't know how I knew he was at the bar. My mom might have told me to call bars if I can't find him, but I don't remember. But I quickly found him at the first bar I called. I could hear his shock on the phone that I found him, and he rushed home to take me to my lesson. He was clearly full of shame that I knew where to find him, and he sheepishly asked how I knew. My 10-year-old self spent the car ride comforting my dad that it was okay that I had to call a bar to find him, and I dodged the question of how I knew where he was. By the time I got to the school, I missed my private lesson, and the full orchestra rehearsal was underway. I tried to quietly take my position, but my orchestra teacher decided to make an example of me and my tardiness. He went on to explain in front of all my peers, how rude it was to stand him up for my lesson and be late for rehearsal. He wanted a reason why I was late, and I knew I couldn't tell him and all of the orchestra that I had to call the local bars to find my dad. I just told him I'm an idiot and forgot about my lesson. My father picked me up after the rehearsal, and he was still apologizing, but I couldn't bring myself to explain to him the embarrassment I endured. This was probably one of the first times I lied for my dad and got a real sense of the shame that surrounded his alcoholism. Not quite the summer education I was looking for. Thank you for that. <clears throat> that is, uh, wow. This is a struggle in a sentence. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself Love Challenged and about her codependency. She writes, every time I come across someone I like, I ask myself, what do I need to change about myself in order for you to love me? Wow, that is deep. That is deep. This is from our friend uh, Imon. Uh, and this is an awful moment. She writes, uh, I'm 37 years old and about 12 years ago I wrote my mom a letter letting her know that I was not having a relationship with her until she got sober. I knew that she would never stop drinking and that by giving her the ultimatum, I was guaranteeing myself that I would never, ever have to see to see or talk to her again. You see, the drinking was definitely a problem, but the real issue for me was her taking credit for my good deeds, as though she had anything to do with them. I survived my childhood and thrived in spite of her, not because of her. By blaming our estrangement on her alcoholism, nobody could fault me and I could finally be free to heal from a shitty childhood. I hope she never gets sober. Thank you again for your honesty. I love when you guys just don't hold back. You know, I think it helps so many of us feel less alone. 
because we feel like, oh, those, you know, those feelings that I have, those thoughts that I have, um, but nobody else feels like the, the way I do. And then we read a survey like that. Um, you know, my brother called me today and he said, um, he actually texted me and he said, mom fell down and she broke her hip. And um, I texted him back and I said, call me when you leave the hospital because I didn't want to talk to him while he was near her. Um, and of course, I started feeling guilty that you know, I cut contact with her three years ago. And, you know, a whole bunch of mixed up feelings were coming in. But honestly, um, if I'm going to be really honest, whenever he calls me, um, I, I am afraid and look forward to the phone call where he tells me that she has died. There you go. There's some, there's some shit that's not, uh, it's not easy to admit, but I don't shame myself for it because I didn't put those feelings there, you know? But it's, oh, fucking parents are so hard to love sometimes. Sometimes the only way you can love them is from 2,500 miles away. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Alex, Alex Luxer. She is... Is she? She's in her 20s. She's pansexual. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She's never been sexually abused. She's been emotionally abused. Dad constantly guilting and threatening for most of my life. I refuse to let that piece of shit make me feel small. I tell him what a cowardly excuse of a humanoid he is. I tell him I hate him, that he does not scare me, not anymore. And every time I make him cry, it feels like a victory. Any positive experiences with your abusers? Yes, there were good times, but it makes me pull away even more now. Every good thing was a sad little man trying to feel needed after he hurt me so much that I wouldn't respond like he wanted. Rinse and repeat. Darkest thoughts. Telling my dad to kill himself since he always threatens us with it. Handing him his favorite drugs laced in some sort of acid. Really helping my really helping my dad kill himself faster, preferably in a painful way, so at least I know he suffered a little for what he does to my mom and did to me. Darkest secrets. I pretend to be a sweet, considerate person. On the inside, I don't care about many people. I dislike children. I find almost everyone boring and dull. If I acted that way, people would dislike me. I would stand out more. Life would be harder. So I put on a mask and people like me, and I can hide. I am safe. And mom doesn't think she raised a heartless monster. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Having sex with creepy old men. Having sex with demons, werewolves, and other messed up things. Being a pet for a lady. A little, I feel a little ashamed, but mostly I wonder how other people see it. That's all fantasy anyway. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? You are dull, please go away, to all my co-workers, because they really are dull, and they make work even more boring. What, if anything, do you wish for? To be able to stay home and read books, adopt two more dogs and a few bunnies, spin yarn and work in my garden and never have to work for money again, and be able to just walk away from all the boring or bad people in my life. Have you shared these things with others? No, because it would mark me as outside the social norm. Experience shows me that it is best to stay on the less creepy side of eccentric. 
if I want to be able to function in the outside world. How do you feel after writing these things down? Sad, but in a cathartic way. At least I was able to tell the truth, at least once. It feels good to be myself outside of my head, even if it's only to write this survey. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? To people who are emotionally abused, the people who abuse you are damaged, but that does not excuse what they do. They hurt you, but reveal their own scars. You are stronger, braver than you think. You can survive. To creepy old men, demons, werewolves, and people, pet-loving ladies, call me. <laughs> that is an awesome, I mean, it's a, a heartbreaking, but an awesome, awesome survey. I just love your honesty and, uh, and your sense of humor. And, um, yeah, that just, that survey really, um, just, uh, I don't have the words to describe it. Moved me, um. No, your your podcast did not turn off. I'm just uh, sometimes I, I I can't find the words to. Uh, I'm going to blame it on the meds. This is an awful. But thank you, um, Alex, for um, for being so honest. And all the surveys, all the surveys, and all the shows that I've done. I know sometimes people probably hear their surveys get read and they feel like I just blow through it and 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 don't. Um, Maybe don't give enough love or let you know how I wouldn't read a survey if it didn't if I didn't find it moving or compelling in some way. So to anybody whose survey I've ever read, thank you. Thank you. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Sadness. Uh, and then parentheses, she writes from the inside out movie, blue hair, blue turtleneck, and pouty face. Uh, when I was 27, I was self-medicating with alcohol. A lot. I went to a barbecue, met a cute guy, drank too much, and tried to drive. A friend gave me a ride home. At home, a fight between me and my father began. I don't know why. He tried to restrain me and called the cops to take me to the hospital. I was apparently having a drunken bipolar rage. I ended up biting my dad on the arm before the cops arrived to break myself out of his grips. The cops arrived and arrested me for assault on my father, and instead of going to the hospital, I went to our local town jail. While on the drunk tank, I punched one of the cops and got taken to county jail. It was a horrific night of me trying to be prison tough. I had no idea why or how long I might be there, so I wanted to appear tough and crazy. I threatened to kill one of the other prisoners. She was there on a murder charge. And with that, I got my prison nickname, Crazy Number 6, my cell number. I got put in a chicken suit because of my mental state. I assume that's some type of restraining suit uh, that they uh, uh, put you in, in in jail. I'm not sure what chicken... Uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm a stutterer. Uh, I got put in a chicken suit because of my mental state, and when I threatened to kill myself, the corrections officers came in my cell and smacked me around, head smashed against the wall, so much so that the chicken suit ripped off of me and they wouldn't give me another. I spent the night on the dirty cell floor, 
bugs on the floor and feces on the wall. I spent the night wadding up toilet paper so as to make a, quote, bed. It was so freezing cold uh, to keep germs at bay. I didn't sleep. I kind of just shivered and silently cried naked in the mor- uh, and in the morning I was given breakfast. Breakfast, in quotes. Two pieces of white bread, cocoa crispies, and tea. The tea was the most amazing thing ever. It warmed me inside and out. I was finally given a prison jumpsuit and a mattress. I napped, and about an hour later, I was sent downstairs. I took my mugshot and was sent to a holding cell with a poor girl that got locked up for parking tickets. I was finally bailed out after a long night by my father. I was given my clothes and processed out. I met my bail bondsman. That, there's a phrase that you don't want to ever have. My bail bondsman. <laughs> He's my favorite bail bondsman. Uh, and to my surprise, he didn't have any cigarettes, a la Dog the Bounty Hunter. I was so confused when I found out what I had done. I stopped drinking from that point on, and that day, the sweet guy I met at the barbecue called me to see if I was okay, and we've been dating for the past four years. Thank you for that. Oh my god. I gotta find out what a chicken suit is. Ivy is sound asleep behind me having dreams. That might be one of my, definitely on my love list is the uh, the little mini dream barks that dogs make. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a, I love this guy's name, King Zayedy. And about his depression, he writes, it makes me feel like a peso when the world is only accepting dollars. That is a great one. That one might be Hall of Fame. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Logan. He is straight in his 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, never been sexually abused. He's been emotionally abused. My father's an alcoholic. There were always spankings, but I don't think anything over the line except for once. I was about 10 and had been told to clean my room. Normally, my room was a giant mess, but I had actually made an attempt to clean it. In the middle of the night, he came in, pushed me over and over into my bed, pushed me over and over into my bed, screaming about how I never listen. He threw me out of the bed towards the wall, and I backed into it and pissed myself. After that night, he didn't hit me really ever again, but the emotional stuff got worse. Any positive experiences with your abusers? He's my dad. I love him. It complicates things a lot. Boy, that's the understatement of the century. What are the, your darkest thoughts? I live in a house full of guns and I have mental health issues. I should say, my father has never used them to threaten me. Always taught me how to be safe around them. I'm comfortable with a gun uh, through growing up and being in the military, but sometimes I think about what it would be like to just go downstairs, pick out a gun, and shoot myself. Darkest secrets. When I was very young, about four, my sister, she was about three, and I took showers. During some of them, I put my penis in her mouth. I hate myself for it. I should say I've never been attracted to children and have no desire towards them. My sister and I are now very close. She thinks I'm the coolest, a good person, a good man. I've watched her deal with weight and body issues as well as emotional issues and think that I am a direct cause of a lot of these things. I'm afraid to talk to people about it. I'm afraid that people will think I like kids. I'm afraid my sister doesn't remember and I don't want to cause her more pain than I've already did without knowing it. Most of all, I'm afraid that she does remember and loves me anyway. This is the first time I've ever told anyone this. 
sexual fantasies most powerful to you? A redheaded woman being very sexually aggressive with me. Any, what is anything you'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my sister how much uh, I would do to take that back. I'd give anything, do anything. Sometimes I think this is selfish because more than likely the only person unburdened by that admission um, it's more than likely the only uh, because that burden uh, that would burden so many more people. Uh, what if anything do you wish for to have the negative voice in my head be smaller and smaller until gone? Have you shared these things with others? Never. I live with it every day. How do you feel after writing these things down? I've never written it down, never spoken it, nothing. Right now I'm having a lot of anxiety, shame, guilt, and utter loathing. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I honestly don't know. You know, my first thought when I read this was, is you are viewing yourself as if the adult you did that to your sister. You were four years old. You were four years old and you need to forgive yourself. You should take out a picture of yourself when you were four years old and see how little and innocent you were and forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. You sound like a really sweet, sensitive guy. And it's time for you to stop beating yourself up and accept your sister's love. And, and if you find yourself still stuck on this, talk to a therapist about it, you know. This is a happy moment, and this was filled out by, um, oh, our friend uh, Billy Pilgrim. Uh, we read one of her uh, surveys last week. Uh, her happy moment, she writes, This morning, waking up at 5.20 a.m., I braced myself for the onslaught of adrenaline and panic, but then realize I haven't had a flashback. I'm just awake. So I make oatmeal and coffee and sit on my apartment balcony and watch the day lighten over the river, and it dawns on me that after nine months of unrelenting darkness, this morning, I feel the bright joy of survival and the clarity of being in the present. The experience of lightness after a depression is a sweetness that the non-broken will never know. It is a sensation reserved just for us, like the color indigo. Only we few can feel this joy on the emotional spectrum. Even with still the fragments of low-grade depression and anxiety still floating around the edges this morning, let me reread that. Even with the fragments of low-grade depression and anxiety still floating around the edges this morning. In the center of me, I am the sun. And then, even better, after listening to some of the mental illness happy hour, I got sleepy and I still had an hour to go back to bed for a nap before going to work. And a stolen hour of nap time is about the happiest thing of them all. That was beautiful. And you know what I take out of that? My podcast puts people to sleep. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Bunny. And um, her issues are depression, anxiety, bulimia, and anger issues. And um, part of this that I wanted to read was uh, any comments or questions to make the podcast better. Uh, she writes, uh, talk about techniques for self-soothing and what constitutes healthy behavior, healthy mental states, healthy relationship, etc." 
Uh, what are we meant to be working towards? What should we feel in order to be normal? And, you know, I don't know if I have answers to any of those. I think that's why, you know, we've done 243 episodes of this show and there's still so much that we haven't even scratched the surface of. Uh, I think if I could answer that in a sentence, we wouldn't have to have a podcast like this because it's so complex and each person's different and they're all ongoing processes. But I can tell you personally um, how I self-soothe is um, I go to my support groups, I meditate, I exercise, I try to eat right, I apologize when I'm wrong. Um I return people's phone calls uh, from support groups that call me. I make phone calls to them when I know that I need to talk, even when I don't want to. I watch Netflix. I eat popcorn. I play my video games. Um, I try to be honest with my wife when I can, even if they're difficult conversations to have. Um, what constitutes healthy behavior? I don't know if I know if there's an answer to that. Um I certainly know uh, intentionally hurting other people is not healthy behavior um, or unleashing my, making my, making somebody feel bad just so I can feel good, um, which I used to do. I used to make people the butt of my jokes and I thought if it was funny, it doesn't matter if their feelings were, were hurt. Um, the one thing I, that I think I can answer and I would say the word normal, you ask what should we feel in order to be normal? I don't think there is a normal. And I think it's a mirage to try to go for it. Um, you ask what are we meant to be working towards? The only thing that I that is consistently within my grasp, because uh, joy is not within my grasp. Joy to me comes uh, like a, um <sighs> I don't want to say comet because that sounds too uh, dramatic, but there I do sometimes go months without joy. But what I do work towards because it is possible every day is peace. And for me, that starts with accepting the things that I can't change. You know, much like I was talking about earlier in the episode, not not being able to accept that there are people on the opposite end of the political spectrum from me not accepting that I can't change them, not accepting that they're probably going to be that way forever and that they will probably pass down their belief system to their children. That's I have a hard time accepting that, but I, if I'm going to be at peace, I need to accept that. I need to accept that that's a part of the universe, that you know they are we are just charged differently everything in the universe it seems has its opposite so why can't i accept that they are the opposite of me i don't think that makes me any more valid than than them um although it catch me most days and i do think i'm more valid than them but um so i would say peace and acceptance are the are the things i try to work towards every day and it's also easier for me to accept things when I have some gratitude in my life, and um, I need to look around and be present, especially about other people's lives, to to feel gratitude. Because I can intellectually know that I'm grateful that I have running water and a roof over my head and food on my table. You know that I'm one of the lucky people on the planet to be food secure. But to feel grateful is a different thing, and it seems that I need to work 
my way on a daily basis towards feeling grateful. And that usually means being considerate of others, going out of my way to do something nice for somebody. And that, that, seems, to, that seems to help a lot. But I can tell you this much. I don't get into a grateful state usually by isolating myself from other people. How's that for a long-winded answer? Great questions, though. Um, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself Johnny is truant about his depression. Dysthymia. My world is a black and white TV with poor reception and everyone else is in full color HD with surround sound. About his codependency. How am I supposed to love me if you don't love me? Boy, that's a great one. Thank you for that. And you know, finally, I was going to read one more Shame and Secrets, but I'm a little, I'm a little burned out. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself Kinder Blocks of Joy. And uh, she writes, When I was 17, my parents sent me to Poland to visit my family for a month. My dad's sister, Elizabeth, decided that she was going to have me stay over for a week. I'd always disliked her when I was younger because she seemed really strict. But this week was something entirely different. It was probably the happiest week I'd ever experienced in my entire life. She would work until four, during which time I'd read books from her ridiculously vast library, and then we'd spend the rest of the day hanging out, talking, gardening, watching TV. I never understood, up until now, why that single week was so incredibly meaningful to me. It was her. She actually saw me, listened to me, and validated me. Not only that, she actually enjoyed my company. She even tried her hardest to explain proper boundaries to me on how to deal with my mom's side of the family. I grew up in an emotionally neglectful and oftentimes emotionally abusive environment. My mom really didn't like me after I grew old enough to talk back. She didn't like me being my own person, having my own opinions. My purpose in her life was to represent her in the outside world. Dressed to the T's, always on a diet, I was only a good person provided that I took on her point of view. But for a week, I got to experience the sort of parent that I'd fantasized about every single night before falling asleep since I was four years old. The sort of parent that expressed an unconditional love towards you no matter what you did. I remember the words I wrote in my diary about feeling so strange about idealizing someone who I barely knew. My aunt showed me for the first time in my life that people existed in the world who would accept you entirely. Thank you for that. I love when you guys just capture a happy moment that just where I just feel my blood pressure drop. I just my problems all of a sudden feel smaller and I'm reminded how much how much beauty there is in the world. You know, right alongside all the all the horror and the awfulness. The uh yeah. Dancing through sadness. That's what we're doing. That is what we're doing. That's gonna be the name of my next album, even though I'm never doing stand up again. Anyway, um come out and see me in Brooklyn, September twenty seventh. Come see me at Podfest this weekend, Saturday night. And um, 
just remember you're not alone. You're not alone. Never have been. Never will be. It's just in your mind that you're separate, alone, and different because you're not. I guess what I'm trying to say is you're not special and go fuck yourself. <laughs> I want to leave you on that one. Thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely